man, you gotta get a you gotta get a, a cheat sheet or something. That's terrible. That'll kill us. You like that? You like that? I'm just about that action, boss. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. You are listening to Run the Film with Kirk Morrison and Ted Wynn, only on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Kirk Morrison. I'm an eight-year NFL veteran, along with Ted Nguyen. This is going to be our weekly podcast called Run the Film. First of all, uh, Ted, I can't wait to uh, embark this season with you. I've been a big fan of your work, and uh, hopefully we get a chance to give some good content out there to a lot of people who love the game of football. Yeah, for sure. Excited to get this podcast going. Uh, obviously, uh, you know I grew up a Raider fan, so I watched you play. Uh, we have a little bit of a connection because I-, I coached with your high school coach, Paul Paranon, so we uh, kind of know each other that way. Uh, but yeah, we're going to review every a few games that we're going to pick that we, we feel are pivotal matchups, uh, give our-, our breakdown. Kirk's obviously going to you know give his ins- uh, inside information, and he started off this podcast pretty strong. Because he told me before we started his podcast, <laughs> he guaranteed that the upset of the week was going to be uh, the Titans over the Browns, and it you know they it, it that it came through um, big time because uh, the Titans killed the Browns. Yeah, you know what? I, honestly, I, we can start right there because each week, like you mentioned, we're going to break down a game of the week, and I, I think I'll start right there because I think that was the biggest matchup in terms of what everybody really wanted to see. That there are some teams that have been established in the National Football League over the last couple of years, but it's been this kind of emergence of the Cleveland Browns, the Baker Mayfield pick of a year ago, the signing or trade of Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry. A lot of people had anointed this Cleveland Browns team, but to me, that was the game that I circled that I truly wanted to watch. I wanted to see, was this real? Was the hype that everyone was talking about with with Cleveland, can they overcome everything and show that they're a different football team? I honestly, Ted, it just felt, it just felt, that the Tennessee Titans were going to play a totally different opposite game in which the Cleveland Browns just weren't able to handle. So before we start to break it down, your first thoughts on just watching that game and what did you see? Uh, I agree with you. I thought there was too much hype. I thought the Titans defense was really underrated because they have some talented players on their defense. And I think Mike Vrabel is a good defensive coach. Uh, But I, I, I honestly didn't think that the Titans could beat the Browns. I thought it was going to be a lot closer than people thought. Uh, but watching the game and checking out the All-22, the Browns just looked so undisciplined. Especially uh, on defense, they're very undisciplined. They had, um, how many penalties did they have? They had 18 penalties for 182 yards. Uh, so, I mean, we could start off talking about the defense. What do you see from the defense? Well, I think, first of all, the, the Titans defense I thought was going to be strong. Um, like you mentioned, the first thing is that when you look at a guy like Mike Vrabel and understand where he's cut from, he is a disciple of Bill Belichick. He's also studied with Romeo Cornell and he, the different guys that he's played for and the way that he's sort of went about his coaching style. He realizes that last year in his first year as the head coach, there's some things that he probably wanted to get better at as a head coach. And I think starting off is really about how you start the season. How do you win from week to week? And I think that you're going to see different offenses always come with different, you know, they're going to present different challenges. But when it comes to your defense, it's all about being, you know, I I think having good corners on the outside, being able to play man to man, having linebackers that can be really athletic, not necessarily the most physical guys, but you have to be athletic in there. But you need guys up front. You need the defensive line up front that can be able to get off and just make plays. I thought just the the, the biggest thing for me for the, the Titans were that the way that they played on third down. I mean, that to me was the game, really, because Baker Mayfield and that offense for Cleveland, I thought that, I'm going to be honest, they're pretty boys. I call them that they're, they they run a finesse type of offense. I didn't think that they were going to be able to run the football. They did a little bit with Nick Chubb, but just watching it, I really wanted to see how was third down going to be affected. The Cleveland Browns were one of 10 on third down. That's right, just one of 10. That's not going to cut it. And why was that? Because I thought it was just a tight defense 
that was being played by Tennessee, making sure that Odell Beckham had someone, either whether it was underneath or over the top, but they always had two eyeballs on Odell and Jarvis Landry. I'll live with David Njoku catching the football and making plays. Hey, continue to do that. But when he does it, it doesn't devastate a defense. When Odell and Jarvis Landry, when they make big catches, trust me, everyone feels it. Yeah, I agree. And check this out. So you talked about them being one of ten on third downs, but they played so they kept on playing behind this behind schedule because of penalties, sacks, and just bad plays. But uh, these are the third downs that they had to face: third and thirteen, third and thirteen, third and twenty-eight, third and eighteen, third and sixteen, third and twenty-six. Uh, Baker converted a second and twenty-three early in the game. He threw a pick on second and fourteen. Uh, so you just can't win when you're playing that far behind the chains. And uh, yeah, I agree that they played too pretty. They were overconfident. And I, you know, I think one of the plays that really um, kind of that kind of personified that was Baker just taking his time in the back of the end zone and taking that safety. And, you know, you know, when your your coach trusts you to uh, pass the ball when you're backed up against your end zone, you have to get rid of the ball. And he sat back there for four seconds, waited too long, got sacked. And that was one of the turning points of, of, of the game. So that that's just not good. And um, we talked about the penalties a little bit. Uh, one of the biggest penalties was Greg Robinson getting ejected in the second quarter. They don't have that much of offensive line depth. So when you get your uh, left tackle kicked out of the game in the second quarter because he's trying to kick somebody while he's on the ground, just things like that are just so um, unnecessary. And... I don't know if the Browns could fix it. They just looked very undisciplined right now. Uh, as a player, um, have you been on a team that got penalized a lot? And were you know did were they able to fix that? And how can you fix something like that during the season? Well, I did play for the Oakland Raiders, and so uh, that was kind of the thing was playing uh, undisciplined, and not necessarily undisciplined because everybody just didn't care, but it was because a lot of guys um, just wouldn't understand that the things that you do or the focus that you have to have throughout 60 minutes in a four quarter game you every single play means that you have to give not only everything that you've got but you got to play within the rules you got to do things that are right you can't just oh man whatever because it affects the other guys i just thought the immaturity of the uh, cleveland browns started to come out you start to see a lot of guys who start to read their own press clippings and when you start to have that, I think I, this was one of the things that I really wanted to see early on. Had they won the game, I would definitely raise my hand and say, okay, you did it. You proved it to me. But the one thing is that adversity, how will you handle it? I haven't seen Baker Mayfield handle the adversity. Yes, he's been the former walk-on, and he's won the Heisman, and people said he was too short and all this that, that, that's fine, but now this is the true adversity of the NFL is that how are you going to go out each week and when teams throw different looks at you or when your offense isn't clicking, how do you respond? And I didn't get the response. Like you mentioned, he's back in the end zone and not getting that clock in your head as a quarterback to get the football off, not, you know, not knowing where you're at. That to me was just a guy who was so laser locked in trying to make a play instead of realizing where he's at. So I think he'll have also the biggest jump, though, by the way, from week one to week two. I think he'll have the biggest jump. I, I think you know, obviously they're going to play against the New York Jets, but I still think that his jump is going to be so much bigger from week one to week two because you needed that time. You needed that 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 to be out there, how the game is going to be played in terms of the speed of the game. That's the one thing I always say for my career. I would say this, Ted, and, and for a lot of players out there, is that obviously we've seen the trend throughout the National Football League of guys not playing in the preseason. Your frontline starters not being out there, you give them a series or two, and that's fine. But yet when the regular season comes, I'm going to be honest, there's a different speed. There's a speed that when the game starts, it's like you have to get acclimated to it. You have to. It's just I, I can't really describe it. Is that like, well, I mean, everybody's fast. Like, no, for the last six to seven weeks, each team has been practicing against themselves, maybe having a joint practice here, or, you know, you had a preseason game here. But it's the real-life speed and adrenaline in a game that can really, I think, it, it captures you for a minute. It can really surprise you. 
I remember my first time as a, you know, as a rookie, I still had to play special teams early on. So I remember I'm on kickoff return. And, you know, when you're at practice, when you're in you know, preseason games, it's, you know, you, you kind of look across and you know the opponent, right? You know who they are. You know the speed. And I, I get out there and, and for the first regular season game and the ball is kicked and I take my normal steps because you got to take about five or six steps backwards and you got to try to square up a guy and block him. I just remember I went to turn. I turned back around and the guy had already passed me. And that's when I knew that there's just a different speed that players have to get acclimated to. And I think that's what Cleveland had to get acclimated to is that's how fast and physical and how much faster I thought that the Tennessee Titans were. Yeah, and I agree. I think they needed to get smack in the mouth a little bit. They just had too much hype coming into the game. And I and I agree that I think Baker could take a big jump in week two because some of the things he struggled with against the Titans, he didn't struggle with last year. Like he was just he was really bad against uh, pressure, and he's typically a pretty pretty strong in the pocket, but he just didn't look good. They have to do some things to help him out, like shorter drops, hard counts, things like that. Um, but moving on to the next game that we want to talk about, uh, Bears-Packers Thursday night. Um, you know, Both offenses didn't look good, but the Bears and Packers have a very strong defense. Uh, what were your overall assessments in that game? Well, I think first off, the one thing that I wanted to see um, was on, on both sides on the offenses. So offensively, when I looked at Green Bay, Matt LaFleur's offense, what was it going to look like? You know, obviously with Aaron Rodgers running, I mean, running that offense now, we heard all offseason the criticism um, in terms of, hey, will Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, will they make it work? Will they be butting heads? Will they get along? Will they be buddy-buddy? And a lot of times I've always said this, that, when you're a player and you have a new coach, the one of the things that you have to always realize is that each year is a new year. So when I say a new year, it, it means that the offense, you have to figure out what our identity is going to be. You can't have the same identity each and every year. I know people say that, but, oh, this is what they do. But it's always different characters. The NFL has so much turnover, so you're going to have new players. You're going to have new guys in there. So for me, I wanted to see plugging these players into the offense of Matt LaFleur, and I was impressed. I know early on it didn't look good, but when it came down to it, I was impressed by the playmakers. Marquez Valdez-Scatling, to me, seems like he's going to be an up-and-coming wide receiver. Devontae Adams, to me, is really on that verge of being an elite wide receiver in, in, the, uh, in, in football right now. Jimmy Graham, more a little older in the tooth, but I thought he was effective as well. And when you really start to look at Aaron Rodgers and where he's at in terms of arm strength, his arm strength is still, I think, flawless, I mean, elite. So it's those things that I saw uh, in the game against Chicago that even when it didn't work early on, they stuck with it, they hung with it, and they got a running game. And that's one thing that they are going to have to win games on, running the football and also playing great defense, which is something I thought you know Green Bay has not had in years past. Yeah, and, and one thing that people uh, don't talk about enough with this type of offense that LaFleur is trying to install here that comes from Mike Shanahan to Kyle Shanahan is that it, it typically takes a year for players to learn this offense. Um, I think the most recent example is if you just see Kyle Shanahan's first year in Atlanta with Matt Ryan, they didn't do too well. Second year, they had one of the uh, historically good offense. Um, so it takes a while to learn this offense. There's a lot of nuances that... You have to pick up, and um, it's going to look ugly in the beginning, especially when you're on the road against uh, defense like the Bears um, with their defensive line. So, uh, But I agree, Aaron Rodgers, still elite arm talent, that one throw to scout, that deep throw to scouting. Yes. He was he was pointing his body <laughs> towards the left to look yeah. at an out to get the safety to bite, and he threw the ball deep to the right while his body's completely pointing to the left. So it's just amazing arm talent to make that throw. Uh, the I I don't Jimmy Graham I don't think really is a great fit in his offense because right. they ask mm -hmm. their tight ends to make pretty difficult blocks. You can't hide a flex tight end in this offense. You have to reach block. You have to make those backside split zone blocks. And he got beat up a little bit in the blocking game. But I think if you get 
him a role and look at him more as a big wide receiver and use him situationally like they did in the red zone and they threw that, that jump ball up to him, I think he has some value there. Yeah, I think he got, he's got value, and they can find ways to get him going, especially down in the red zone. He's another target. But I think what uh, impressed me was that they found a way. They stuck with what they were doing in terms of offensive game plan. That They were playing against a team that I think at the end of the year is going to be a top-five defense. When we look at what the Chicago Bears have, and you look all the way up and down, whether it's you know Fuller at corner, where you look at the safeties and Jackson, um, you know going along with obviously Khalil Mack, Roquan Smith, we could start to name the guys, Akeem Hicks as well. And they early on feasted a little bit. They were sacking Aaron Rodgers, you know, on third down situations, really muddying it up for him. But I thought it was their willingness and and being stubborn and running the football that really started to open things up for them in the second half. It wasn't a high scoring game. And that to me showed me a lot, too, that you don't always have to win shootouts. Right. We, we think of the Packers and they score a ton of points. I thought it was a good job by them showing that they can win a, a, a game that wasn't in the 20s. All right, so let's talk about Mitch Trubisky. You know, the Bears have a very talented team. We saw how good that defense is. I think they'll take a little bit of a step back because I just think Vic Fangio is that good of a coach. Right. Um, but they have so much talent on defense. They have so much talent on offense. And the one question mark they have is Mitch Trubisky. Can he take uh, another step up this year? Last year, uh, Nagy was able to open up a lot of opportunities with for him with the, you know his play calling and his play designs. Uh, but he's not going to be able to do that on a consistent basis. At some point, Mitch Trubisky is going to have to step up and be more than a one-read quarterback. Uh, it just seemed like every time uh, the Packers took away the first option, uh, he just had so much trouble moving from progression to progression. He was missing throws. Allen Robinson could have had at least 150 yards if uh, Trubisky found him. Uh, so that's a major question mark for the Bears is whether Trubisky – uh, can step up or not and I, I actually picked the Bears as a, a team that's going to regress uh, one because I think Vic Fangio's is, is going to hurt not having Fangio and two I, I just don't know if Trubisky could take that step up no I agree with you I agree that Trubisky you know actually you know his first read it's not there and then it's like what happens after that and too many times I feel like he throws the ball away um, not enough um for me, his progressions aren't where I would want them at, right? So you go through the first year, then you go through the second year, and in the second year, a little bit better, obviously, and he's got more coaching now because it's Coach Nagy there. So now the second year within the offense, what does it look like for him? Meaning that how much better can he get? Also, not having Trey Burden hurts a little bit in your first oh, yeah. game. You need that tight end. Like every a quarterback's best friend is his tight end, and not having that, that safety net – you know, those are the types of situations that can can hurt a quarterback. I, I say that because, I mean, Jason Witten was out of football for a year, and I watched Dak Prescott throw to him like it was seamless, you know what I mean, in terms of just like a safety valve. I think that's what Mitch has to do. Mitch Trubisky has to get back to that. But then offensively, what is their, what is their identity for 2019? Like last year, the offense was fresh. It was new. It was multiple. It was it was shifts, motions. Um, it, it was a ton of of different formations in terms of who's getting the football, who's uh, going to direct snaps and and end arounds. It was you when you played against them, you didn't know, you know, pretty much what they were going to do. Now you have all that on tape, right, Ted? So when you have it all on tape, that's where you need the quarterback to go take the next step. And I just – I didn't see it in week one, but I think that there's something that for Mitch, who didn't play in the preseason a ton, right? He didn't play at all, I, don't, I believe, uh, similar to some of the other coaches holding their starters out. And you saw some of the rust, you know, from Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, and the Packers' defense could be just that good. And like you said, it, it takes some time to um... – you know, get you without playing any preseason games. It takes some time to get acclimated to the speed of the game again. Um, so we'll see. I mean, we'll see the next couple of weeks whether Trubisky can take the next step up, like he has to, um, or or not. And if he doesn't, I think the Bears have to start taking advantage of his legs a little bit more, call some more run options, and um, you know that way you get him going to take some pressure off of him. And if he really struggles. I wouldn't be opposed to putting Chase Daniels in. I think Chase Daniels is a kind of underrated backup quarterback that 
might be able to spark the offense a little bit if you know Trubisky struggles and uh, you know I guess I'm being a little dramatic here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, that could be an option that later down the line. No, I agree with you. Yeah, you have to spark, especially uh, early in the season. Try to figure it out, get it going with him, and then if not, then you possibly can shake things up. But I think that the, you know Mitch showed so much promise for last year, um, and I think that they're going to stick with him. They're going to ride this thing out. But you know, we'll see. I thought defensively, you know, Chuck Pagano, his first time as their defensive coordinator, you know, since taking over for Vic Fangio, I thought the defense played well. I mean, it played well enough for you to win the game. And that's all you can ask is that, hey, defense, was there a drop off? No, I didn't see a drop off. I thought Leonard Floyd finally started to really show that he could be a premier pass rusher in the league. Uh, obviously, Khalil Mack, a very quiet game, but I think we may see quiet games from Khalil Mack because the the attention that teams are going to pay uh, you know, against him. So I, Chicago, you mentioned it, they'll take a step back, but we'll see week to week. is The next part, I just want to see the improvement. I want to see Mitch Trubisky be able to throw a little bit more and get the ball down the field, not so much the underneath and the intermediate throws. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, so moving on to Rams and Panthers, uh, the Rams who you cover mostly, um, a little bit of a sloppy game, but the Panthers are a very talented team defensively. Um, Jared Goff was, he, he played, you know, okay. Didn't have a great game. Christian McCaffrey was lights out as always. Um, what, what do you see in this game? Oh, a lot, a lot, a ton in this game. Um, I saw... You know, first of all, I'll start with the uh, the home team. Let's start with the Carolina Panthers. Um, the Carolina Panthers have to figure it out quick in terms of Christian McCaffrey. Um, they can't just run him into the ground. Um, that's that's something that's for me as I'm looking at the running back position around the National Football League. Carries are going to mount up, and the minute I think that you know you lose your horse due to it, either an injury or wear and tear. I'm just not so sure Christian McCaffrey is going to last an entire season the way that he's touching the football and the shots that he's taking. Fantasy owners don't agree with you though. <laughs> oh no, they won't agree. He's <laughs> gonna get he's gonna get his touches, but I, and what we call a, a marathon and not a sprint. I don't know if I can give him the ball that many times. Mm. I've seen it with Ty Gurley in his first couple years, and then all of a sudden he kind of tailed off uh, last season because due to injury. But I, I I just don't know if Christian McCaffrey is going to be able to to handle the brunt of oh, so, so many carries. I mean, he touched the ball way too many times, and that's just, uh, you know, week one. You still got another 15 games to go, so it's the war of attrition, but we'll see. I thought Cam Newton struggled throwing the football. He oh, just yeah. did not look accurate. You know, there's a couple plays that you're saying, like, wow, you know, and him just staring uh, down wide receivers, um, it just things that are just uncam like, and this is a former MVP in the National Football League, and I just thought that he did not have one of those games. He did not throw a deep, uh, a ton. Everything was short and intermediate. But it's going to go back to asking him, "What's wrong with the shoulder? How are you? Are you one hundred percent or not?" Because some of those throws were just either too high, too low, and it just did not. He just looked out of sync the entire game. Yeah, and he he spent a lot of the offseason reworking his mechanics, and they did look they look a lot more efficient. But then, you know, you still see some of those missed throws. Like uh, a a key moment was that missed throw in the fourth quarter to Curtis Samuel. He was wide open, wide open. I think on on a wheel route, mm-hmm. and he he couldn't hit him. And those those are the plays that kill you when you have those opportunities against a team like the Rams. You have to be able to hit them. And we we saw Cam really struggle with missed throws last year, and it was due to the shoulder. Uh, but supposedly he's he's got to be healthy this year, so uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, but you talked about um, Christian McCaffrey's usage rate being so high. I was surprised they didn't use Curtis Samuel more. He he's a playmaker that you could line up in the backfield. Uh, he really you know good route runner uh, as well. Surprisingly good route runner for a guy right. that people thought that he was just going to be a gadget type of player. Uh, so I want to see the Panthers use uh, Curtis Samuel a little more. I, I was surprised how underutilized he was. Um, but what do you think about Dante Fowler? I, th- I think um, the Rams were pretty smart for investing in, in him. I, at first, I was kind of you know I, I was kind of worried just because they they gave up <laughs> a, a little bit a lot for him and then they gave him that contract. But watching him, he looks like he could be a better Fowler and and Aaron Donald might be a better pairing than Sue and Donald. I, I love the uh, Dante Fowler pickup. First of all, um, defensively, how would I thought how how would the Rams' defense fare this season? 
because if you ask me last year, I thought they really underachieved. But I think this year it will not be the case. Um, I look at who they've added with Eric Weddle in the back end, Clay Matthews up front. But I think the signing of a Dante Fowler in a prove-it year, it's only a one-year deal. So he's going to be a free agent next year. And I think the way that we look at the quarterback position and the guys who are rushing the quarterback and – the, the kind of the value that we put on those guys, because we saw it with Jadavian Clowney being traded, right, and getting, you know, in a situation where he's probably going to cash in big time. You know, we saw it with Frank Clark and D Ford. I'm putting Dante Fowler right there in that cast of characters in terms of the ability that he showed me, not just last year, but even in his first game, that he could be one of the premier pass rushers in his league. But also, it's what he did in the run game, too. I thought he was mm-hmm. in the, his run defense. He's a physical. He's a, a guy with a high motor, and you didn't you wouldn't expect that from him because of the reports that you heard out of Jacksonville. But the dude has a high motor, and it it, it is a situation where teaming up with uh, Fowler with Aaron Donald, I think that's going to be a tough one for sure for offenses to try to figure out. You know, who are you going to block? Who are you going to single? Yeah, and it yeah he, they were running games with them. I think yeah. he couldn't really do that with Sue and um, Donald, but. It kind of reminded me of, um, you know, when the Niners were really good, they had, um, gosh, I can't remember the, the uh, defensive end's name, but they had Alden Smith and Justin Smith. And Justin and, Smith, yeah, the Smiths, yeah. And and they just killed it on those stunts and line games. And I think that Wade Phillips is going to do the same with uh, Fowler. So if you you, you have a, a, with the Rams, if they have an improved defense, they're going to be a pretty scary team. Offensively, though, uh, I thought the interior of their offensive line struggled. Uh, when I saw them in joint practices with the Raiders, uh, I, I thought they might have some issues um, then. And, uh, you know, it's week one, so I'm not totally sure if the Rams' interior is, is going to be mediocre or the Panthers are, are that good. I mean, and they do have some talent on the inside. Uh, so so what, what do you think about the interior of the offensive line? Well, I thought they held up pretty well. I mean, you're basically – have a starting a new starting center and a new left guard. Joseph Noteboom is that guard now uh, who replaces Saffold, who goes to Tennessee. Um, and then you replacing John Sullivan, who's been a longtime center in this league with Brian Allen. So those two guys, I thought they kind of held their own. I just look at um, the brilliance of Sean McVay because – as much as I love the offensive um, you know, you like the offensive line with those two new guys. But, Ted, the whole offseason for the Rams was really about Ty Gurley's knee. It was the knee. How good is he? It's, 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 he's got tendonitis. Can he be an every-down back still? What was going on with that? Well, throughout the, first, throughout the first half and pretty much the first three quarters, Ty Gurley was being seldom used. He would get a couple carries here. He had, like, one catch. And you're looking up, and he's got maybe, you know, a couple yards, really like 30 yards on eight carries and not a big factor in the game. And Malcolm Brown, their backup, comes in. He plays well, gets a couple touchdowns. And everybody's saying, well, what's wrong with Ty Gurley? Why is he not out there? You said he's okay. He's okay. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, when the game was – they needed to close the game out, Ty Gurley took over in the fourth quarter. And I thought it was brilliant by Sean McVay in terms of um, resting Todd, not putting him out there in, in, you know, plays that really didn't put the game in balance. But when they needed him – he looked to be Ty Gurley of old and rushed for almost 100 yards. And I think that's going to be the plan kind of going forward where Ty Gurley is not necessarily every single play or, you know, throughout the first half, but in bits and in pieces. And then when you need him in, in closing time, he's like that reliever, like the closer. You just, you know, call him from the bullpen and he's ready to go. Yeah, uh, that was my next point. Malcolm Brown looked like he looked good. And I think just – watching the running backs they just looked fresh and having yes. a stable running back you could you could do that you could switch guys in and brown was running hard and like you said Gurley in the fourth quarter looked amazing like you know he just uh he, he had fresh legs and he went in there and he really punished the uh, um panthers defense and you know on a def- defensive side of the ball you know you, you get beat on the whole game and all of a sudden a fresh todd Gurley comes in it, it's, it's pretty <laughs> yeah. dangerous yeah it's, it's, it's crazy to think that he comes in fresh and he's a big back, right? You know, he's six one, about two twenty five, and he's coming downhill, and he's coming downhill fast and, and physical. 
And I just thought that they wore down the Panthers in week one. They wore them all the way down because Jared Goff didn't have one of his best games, but the offensive line really, when they needed to jail um, the most, they jailed in that final, you know, couple drives of the fourth quarter. Yeah. So, um, and the Panthers are a good team. So, you know, they are. Yeah. They're a good team. Yeah. That that was a good matchup. So I think the Panthers will bounce back, uh, but the Rams look like they could be contenders again. And that's one of the most, uh, one of the things that I was most interested in seeing is how, um, Sean McVay would reinvent this offense, and I, I don't think he put in too much in his game, but there there are definitely some some differences, and uh, we'll talk about that more as McVay starts unveiling more of his offense. I think he is holding some stuff back, so uh, we'll see more of that. Uh, so moving on to the Patriots and Steelers game, um, this was a game that I thought was going to be, I think most people thought was going to be a lot closer because uh, we thought the Steelers were. You're going to be one of the better teams in the NFL just because they have some talent and the Steelers are consistently good. Um, but, I mean, Tom Brady just tore up this defense, and he always tears up this defense. Um, I, I thought we we're going to see a little bit a better, more organized Steelers defense, but we still see, saw some of those things that just have leave you scratching your head, like um, Josh Gordon gets matched up on inside linebacker playing man coverage. Like, you know... You, you just can't do stuff like that. Um, and, I mean, as a defensive player, you know, when you see those th- kind of things on film, does it make you lose faith in your defensive coordinator? No, it makes me lose faith. It's just that <laughs> there's some teams that, you know, play checkers and there's some teams that play chess. And the New England Patriots are the team that play chess. I mean, when you watch them and the way that, um, the way that they call the game, it's it's you know Ted I get excited about football right and mm-hmm. you get excited about certain matchups and I just my respect for the Patriots and how they do things um, I truly tip my hat just because a lot of the things that they do is they go against your rules right they I, if you're told to do this and do that it's like okay I'm doing what I'm told but then all of a sudden wait the guy who's actually running that route is a lot quicker and faster than I'm supposed to. Like, so it's really about what they do in terms of their alignment and putting guys in different situations. Uh, you mentioned it. The Patriots would put in a Josh Gordon and they put him at a, at a spot in which actually it was enough. It was the other play. It was the big bomb to Philip Dorsett. And they put him on the backside, kind of, of a three by one, but out of 21, you know, uh, personnel set. And he was the, you know, the backside receiver. And he comes as if he's going to run an over route, but then instead of running an over, he converts it into like kind of a a, a post sale to the corner, which basically splits both safeties because the one middle field safety is kind of like looking for work, but there's nothing there. And all of a sudden a guy crosses his face, but he's going into a zone that's supposed to be voided by the, you know, the cover three corner. So it's like you're just looking at things like like that's not necessarily, you know, on the defense. It's more so is that the rules of the defense, the Patriots find out the weak spot in it. I learned that uh, back in college that no matter what you do, every defense has a weakness. Every defense has a weak spot. There's not there's not one flawless defense that any defensive coordinator in all of football can call and say, I'm calling this defense because this is bulletproof. No, every defense has a weak spot, and that's what the Patriots do. They find the weakness in whatever your defense that you've called, and that's what I saw from the Steelers. They just weren't prepared. And Tom Brady, I know he's 42 years old, but he can keep playing until he's 50 years old, especially when you add in, you know, obviously Antonio Brown, which is going to be something huge to to to, to see. But I just thought that they can beat you in so many multiple ways. 21, 12, they can come out and beat you in 10 personnel, which I think they're going to do a lot of, which is four wide receivers and one running back. Like, Think about the different personnel groupings that the Patriots have right now that I don't think the Steelers can match up. And I think some of the other teams in the NFL, like when you go match up against the the Patriots, like (laughs) you only get to dress 46 players on Sunday. Right. I know it's a roster of 53, but there's always seven inactives. You can dress 46. So when I dress my 46, Ted, am I bringing in an extra defensive back or or do I bring in the extra defensive lineman? Because they're probably going to run the ball 
or do I sit my linebackers because I do want to bring in, you know, more, uh, you know, guys who can cover, but then the Patriots line up and run the football on you and you don't have any linebackers on the field. Like they've created a dilemma and watching them Sunday night, they just outclassed the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. And, and that's the thing with the Patriots and, and the reason why you can't emulate what they do is because they have Belichick and, uh, Belichick's the only coach in the league that could completely transform his team from week to week to attack your weaknesses. And, you know, you could try to hire his coaches and all that, but it just doesn't work because Belichick is like a football encyclopedia and he just, <laughs> you know, whatever he needs to change his scheme to whatever it is to, to beat your weakness, he's able to do it. And, you know, speaking of Philip Dorsett and his touchdown, um, Antonio Brown is going to take that role, that Philip Dorsett role. So it, it's going to be a very difficult matchup because you got Josh Gordon. You're going to have guys trying to double him. Safeties are going to keep their eyes on him. And then on the backside, you're going to have Antonio Brown running those routes that Philip Dorsett was running. And he was getting wide open uh, on those routes. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of unfair that, you know, they got AB and, you know, you could talk about all the controversy <laughs> you want. Right. But it, it, it's, it's going to be a bad matchup. And then... You know, on top of it, like they they lose Trent Brown, and he was Trent Brown was awesome against uh, the Broncos. He shut down Von Miller. Uh, right. Then they re- they replace him with Isaiah Wynn, who lost uh, who who missed the season last year because of injury. And he, Isaiah Wynn looked great against a St- the Steelers' pass rush, who led the league in sacks last year. Um, the, they only got to Tom Brady one time, and Tom Brady had time to pass on a play; just held the ball for too long. Um, so yeah, the, the Patriots machine just looks like they're going to just keep on rolling. I loved watching the feet of Isaiah Wynn, mm-hmm. like just watching him dance out there and to see a big offensive lineman, you know, like that, you know, upwards of 300 pounds, you know, six foot three, I think six, two, I think he's a more of a shorter guy, but he just was so stout and he was able to move left and right and stayed square. You know, he got a tackle who's really, you know, he's coming off of an Achilles injury that happened last year. So to see him to be able to have that kind of bend, because that's the one thing when I look at offensive linemen, especially those tackles, how much bend do you have? Can you bend those knees? Can you stay squared? Are you are a guy who is, is top heavy? Are you bottom heavy? To me, I was like, okay, that's what the Patriots saw. That's why he was a top tackle taken last year, one of the top tackles taken last year, you know, because he is so athletic. And there's a reason why Jake Fromm at the University of Georgia was able to throw so many times because of guys like Isaiah Wynn. You know, I remember some people thought he can play guard last year had he not got hurt because they were thinking about, you know, where do they start him off at? So they've got some versatility with Isaiah Wynn, but I think tackle suits him very well. Yeah, and – you know those things that you talked about are the things that are important athleticism bend technique and some people thought he couldn't play tackle in the league because they thought he was too small right Uh, but you know those those things that you talked about are what's important and they definitely translate on the field and it's kind of funny that they went from trent brown who is officially the largest human being in the nfl to isaiah Wynn, who's one of the smaller tackles but results are still good and uh, yeah the patriots look like they're they're gonna have another good offensive line Uh, So now we're going to preview a a few of the key matchups in week two. Uh, So first, let's look. I I think one of the better games is going to be the the Vikings and Packers. Both both teams are 1-0. Vikings last week barely had to pass the ball, but were able to dominate their matchup, I I think, 28-12. But they were winning 28-0 in the fourth quarter, and Kirk Cousins had only 98 yards passing in the beginning of the fourth. I just thought, man, that Mike Zimmer must be in heaven because that's like his perfect type of game. You like that? You like that? Uh, they don't have to pass the ball, and the defense is dominated. Uh, and we talked about the Packers and how they're going to take some time to learn their offense. Uh, but last week they had a great, great matchup in Week Two. Uh, what are you looking for in this matchup? Well, <laughs> I'm not so sure how many times that you're going to get your quarterback like Kirk Cousins, they only throw the ball 10 times, right? 10 That's 10 passes. I mean, 8 of 10, that's a nice 80% clip completion percentage. But it really goes back to what this defense of Mike Zimmer uh, needs to get back to. Last year, their defense was not uh, as good as we expected them to, right? They have so many guys who drafted in the first round, got some big contracts, yet I thought that they slipped defensively. This week, they go against Matt Ryan. Uh, I'm sorry, last week, they go against Matt Ryan. They get three turnovers, and that really helped them out. Dalvin Cook ran the ball well, you know what I mean? And I think that's what he wanted to get back to, right? That's what 
Mike Zimmer wants to get back to is running a football, is playing great defense, and not having to throw it 20-plus times. I think that's the, the number he wants is probably 20. 25 at the best for Kirk Cousins because I thought that once they start throwing it around the rock, I mean, throw around the, the ball field, it just did too much for them. It, that, that just wasn't their identity of what a Mike Zimmer team uh, looks like. Yeah, and I actually think that against uh, the Packers, uh, I forgot, man, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but there was a study that showed that when one team rushes for 200 yards one week, the next week um, – typically the quarterback has a huge game throwing because the defense is going to be so worried about stopping, stopping the, run the run yeah. that um, you know they're going to leave some holes in the secondary. So the Packers are you know, have a very strong defense, but look, to, look for Kirk Cousins to try to sling the ball around a little bit. Um, the, the Vikings talked a lot about wanting to be a strong play-action team uh, in the offseason, and they didn't really have to go to their play-action game against the Falcons. Um, so I, I would think that they're going to go heavy play action in this game and I would look for Kirk Cousins to have a big game. Yeah, I, I do want to see what is the uh, game plan for Kevin Stefanski, the uh, offensive coordinator. I thought last year they got some things kind of edged out, worked out when they fired John DeFilippo, um, who's now the offensive coordinator in Jacksonville, who's got his own problems right now dealing with uh, Nick Foles, who's injured. So he's got two backup quarterbacks he's got to work with. But you know, Kevin Stefanski took over the offense last year, and you immediately saw just how comfortable Kirk Cousins looked, how the running game started to be, you know, more of the, a focal point. And I think we've seen it again this year. I know it's only one game. It was played at home, but I, I think that you like that formula of running the ball well, you know, getting guys like Dalvin Cook, you know, going early on. And it's only going to help Kirk Cousins be able to get the play action, like you mentioned, but get the ball down the field. I mean, we saw Adam Thielen, you know, kind of running wild a little bit, Stephon Diggs, and they still have one of the underrated tight ends in the league to me and, and, and Kyle Rudolph. So I think this is going to be a game that but against the Packers is going to look totally different than what we saw against the Falcons, right? It's going to be look totally different because everybody's thinking, oh, they're going to run the football, run the football. I could easily see Kirk Cousins throw for 200-plus yards and a couple scores just because I think that you're, you know, you're going to have to open it up just a little bit from what I've seen from that, that, that Packer defense the night before. They cover really well, but and also they, they stop the run too. So how do you circumvent all of that? Yeah, Allen Robinson had his opportunities. He was open. Trubisky right. just didn't find him. So uh, Stephon Diggs might be able to take advantage of the defense, especially if the play-action game is you know sucking up those safeties. Um, so yeah, if you're a fantasy owner, I you know I would think that Kirk Cousins might have an underrated game. It's kind of difficult to start him against a defense like the Packers, but um, you know he could be one of those potential sleepers this week. Uh, so the next matchup I want to talk about Cardinals and Ravens uh, Cardinals they started off the the game against the Detroit Lions and I you know people think the Detroit Lions are a bad team but they had a top 10 defense last year um, and obviously you know Cliff Kingsbury is a rookie coach um, uh, Kyler Murray is a rookie quarterback you, you would expect them to struggle a little bit and they did struggle a lot in the first three quarters Cliff said after the game he was being too cute on offense and he he was he was, he was trying to mix up the personnel too much doing a little you know some weird things on offense like he was lining up in quads too many times um but then when he started calling his base stuff that's when they started moving the ball and you really saw Kyler's accuracy shine through uh, but they're going against the Ravens who have one of the best defenses in the league do you think that the Cardinals can uh, keep going with what the momentum they build in the, in the fourth quarter and overtime against the Ravens. No, I don't think so. I, I just don't believe it um, at all. I thought that you know the Detroit Lions lost that game the other day. The way you're up, you got to finish it, and that goes on to the head coach Matt Patricia. You you've got to be able to you know put your foot down um, and, and 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 hold them down. They didn't do that, and so. I think, you know, Kyler Murray's going to be a good quarterback, but when they kind of went into that desperation two-minute mode, I thought that the Detroit Lions couldn't handle that. And so going this week, going forward, they're going against, I think, one of the best defenses in the NFL in the Baltimore Ravens defense. I love Coach Don Wink-Martindale, who actually was my mentor, my, my first linebacker coach uh, in the National Football League. And I learned so much football from him. And the countless amount of studying that he does, I'm just giving you the heads up, people that he is the type of player, I mean, well, the type of type of coach that 
he takes it personal. And when I say takes it personal, I can tell you right now, he's telling that defense, Kyler Murray is not about to have a highlight on us. I mean, that's what he's going to tell you. He is going to make sure that Kyler Murray does not have a highlight game against us. So I think we're going to see some blitzing. We're going to see some tight man-to-man coverage. Um, I think they're going to try to, you know, neutralize a guy like David Johnson. I think David Johnson is the kind of the guy that that can really hurt them. Oh, he's Larry, marked everything against the line. Yeah, he's that, that's that's honestly what their offense is going to go through. So if you take away David Johnson, I like I love Larry Fitzgerald, first ballot Hall of Famer. But if Larry Fitzgerald gives me 10 catches for 100 yards, that still doesn't bother me. David Johnson is what bothers me. David Johnson is what's like, oh, my God. Because and then we did see this with Kyler Murray and the bits. And when I kind of looked at the game a couple times so far, Ted, we we we, we talked about it when he was coming out in the draft, but it looked difficult for him at times throwing over those big giant trees, those defensive linemen who got their hands up, and we saw a couple passes get knocked down. So will we see more of that? Because I thought that was kind of a nice recipe for of a game plan of blitzing Kyler Murray, but when yeah, Patricia started to you know kind of slag off and play a little zone, that where that's where I started to scratch my head a little bit. Yeah, and I agree. It's going to be really difficult against the Ravens, and they're going to bring the heat against Kyler, and they're not going to let off, I don't think. Uh, but the opening line is 13.5 Ravens. Do you think they, they cover? Uh, I think so, um, because we haven't even talked about their offense yet. Um, I think the, the one, the big plus that I saw last week was that Lamar Jackson didn't even run. Okay. He ran like three he times did. for six yards. Right. He didn't. That, that to me is not running. That's mm-hmm. more of a scramble or a keeping yep. the play alive. We know what we think with, with running the football is for Lamar Jackson. I mean, this new offense that they've talked about all offseason, that everybody was saying, you know, we're going to have a new offense. And Lamar was like, yeah, they're telling me a new offense, but I'm, I will see. I saw it. It's putting the ball in the air. It's getting that ball and – uh, and, and I, you forget how pretty of a ball Lamar Jackson throws. Yep. That 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 uh, is it, you want to call it a lollipop or is that call it a? Uh, like, I, I'll call it a camel throw. How about that? Like a camel hump throw because that ball gets up in the air and it comes straight down. You know what I mean? Like it gets all the way up like a camel hump and it comes literally like he's thrown it in the bucket. And they have a play a big play guy like Marquise Hollywood Brown. That's the scary part, man. God, it's scary now looking at the mm-hmm. Baltimore Red. And I know it was against the Miami Dolphins, and the Miami Dolphins already got one foot out the door, Ted. They're they're done. They're, yeah, they're like what like the Drake song said, they've got 2020 vision because they're already <laughs> looking at the 2020 draft, you know. So I, I'm looking at more so defensive coordinator-wise trying to defend Baltimore. And it, look, it could change this week, but with Marquise Brown showing me that he can take the top off the defense, okay, saying that. I, you, I, you may have somebody fast, but he still looks to be faster. Man, than he, whoever he made you the got. Dolphins look slow. He looks slow. Like, Thank you. It yeah, was he crazy. Was, like he was leaving guys in the dust. I, like I, I, you know, I saw that in college. I, I didn't think it was going to translate like that, quite like that. In yes. NFL, he was still my number one. But man, he 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 just looked explosive. So think about that. So he's going to look explosive and be able to at least keep one or two eyeballs on him. Now, if I have to commit a safety to stay deep, because every corner now has to play off. Like, just think about it. Every corner against him. I mean, I know myself. I'm look if I'm playing corner and I see, you know, Marquise Brown on the other side of me. I'm like, uh, I'm playing off. Because I don't want to get into a track meet with this guy. If I get into a track meet, then they're going to throw it to him every single time. But I'm also having to put a safety over the top. With that safety being over the top, now this is where, and look, I didn't know if I agreed with the signing early on. I thought he probably could have went somewhere else. But I think Mark Ingram chose the best place for him as a football player. Because that run game for John Harbaugh, Look, you got to be able to run the football in the AFC North, and especially when you get into November and December. They're going to do a lot of that, and it's because of the weapons that they now have around him. Remember before the Ravens had no receivers? Marquise Brown has really just changed that now because now you still Mm -hmm. got Willie Sneed. You still got a couple of those tight ends and, you know, Andrews and the guy. So they've actually put some nice little weapons together offensively that in years prior, um, it was always kind of a – they had no receivers. They got something now. Yeah, and the the Dolphins really focus on taking away Lamar in the the run game. I mean, 
the the Ravens were an empty and the the Dolphins were playing cover zero. They had no <laughs> deep safety and they used a safety as a spy on Lamar because they were that scared and um and the most encouraging part uh, like you mentioned he throws a really deep pretty deep ball and we we saw yes. that in college too um but I, I you know i tracked it and of his just drop back packs passing not including uh play action or rpos he was 11 of 12 216 yards and four touchdowns and just drop back passing so that's that's pretty encouraging uh i think the cardinals have a much better defense than the, the dolphins do um so but they'll obviously, like you said, they'll be backed off, and they're going to be scared of Marquise Brown um, speed. So I think we'll see more running from Lamar this week. Um, but I, I, I kind of think they might cover that thirteen and a half too. Uh, the next matchup, I want to talk about the Chiefs and Raiders. Uh, both teams are uh, both teams are one and zero. The Chiefs are going to Oakland, and um, the stadium was electric last night. Um, and you know, I think some people are looking at this like the Chiefs are going to blow out the Raiders. But if you look at what the Raiders have done against the Chiefs at home in the past few years, even when they were bad, uh, they were able to uh, play pretty well against them. And I, I think the Chiefs defense still has a lot of work to do. They made Gardner Minshew look pretty good uh, <laughs> at, at times. And, um, you know, and Colton Miller and uh, Trent Brown, they sh- shut down Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. And uh, if they could shut down Frank Clark, I think that secondary just might get ran through by the Raiders, and this might be one of those shootout games. Yeah, I, I think it could be one of those shootout games because I really believe that when I look at the Raiders' offense from last night, I was really impressed with Josh Jacobs. We hadn't seen much of him just at practice, but not necessarily in the game. And to me, what is one of Derek Carr's favorite pass plays? It's the check down, right? Remember he was checked mm-hmm. down Charlie for a long, long time. And to me, that also is a, is now a creative weapon because they never the Raiders have never had a back that if you did give it to him on a short route that he can chain turn a five yard pass into a 15, 20 yard gain. That's what Jacobs presents. But I, I like some of the open windows that Carr had to throw in. And so it, getting to a shootout is is something that I don't think that the Raiders probably may have to be in in order to win the games just because I think that they played off a lot of emotion on Monday Night Football. And do they have that same emotion, right? Coming off of the whole Antonio Brown, what was going on, like a lot of that had fueled players, fueled those players. But now with with Gary and Conley possibly out this week, what does that do to that Raiders secondary? Does that force LaMarcus Joyner to have to play inside in the slot? But remember, no Tyreek Hill. So possibly he's going to be out for a couple of weeks. So this may be more advantageous for the Raiders that they may be down a corner, but they don't have to worry about the fastest guy in the league yeah. and Tyreek Hill. But the other guy that's to me, I thought that Denver Broncos really had something going, running the football, and they got away from it. I don't know if Andy Reid gets away from it with Lamar. I mean, sorry, with uh, LaShawn McCoy and Damian Williams. I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to try to run the football a little bit more. They're going to keep uh, Mahomes in, in shotgun because he was banged up a little bit. So it'd be interesting the the kind of defensive personnel that I think the Raiders are going to throw at him. Yeah, because um, Gary Conley played a really good game, and thankfully he, he's going to be all right. Gruden said that he's going to be okay. They got some positive news on him, but I don't think he's going to play week two. Uh, Trayvon Mullen, the second-round rookie cornerback, came in, and he just did not look good. I, th- I think he will could eventually be good, but I think yeah. um, just right now he's he just not where he needs to be. He struggled um, a bit. Yeah, the Broncos just straight-up picked on him when he was in there. They put, they put Emmanuel Sanders on the right side, and the Raiders don't have their, their cornerbacks travel. So uh, Sanders was on the right side, went against Mullen, and he just picked on him, and they were able to move the ball pretty easily. So, uh, you know, they're pro- the Chiefs, if they're looking at it, they're going to be like, all right, we're going to put Sammy Watkins on this right side. And, man, I, Sammy Watkins killed me in fantasy this week. But um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I just think that um, they're going to have to do something different. I don't know if they're going to plan to put Trayvon Mullen out there. Like you said, They maybe they put LaMarcus Joyner out there. Uh, but that that's uh, that's a matchup that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Especially the underneath route too, because Sammy Watkins uh, may have found something as well. You know, Sammy Watkins had you know a career day um, last Sunday as well. So, what do the Raiders do about that? What does Paul Gunther do? Because the one thing is that he can show that double mug blitz. He can show you know having everybody at the line of scrimmage. But I don't know if I want to have my players out of place 
because if they you know run that right in behind that slant or a nice little bang eight, Sammy Watkins is taking that and he's taking that all the way to the house for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So I'm not so sure how much disguise that I want to show a Patrick Mahomes this week because we've noticed one thing with Patrick Mahomes. He can throw at any arm angle, but also he can get the ball out lightning fast. So that's what I'm saying. Do I risk disguise or more stay in my coverage? Yeah, and I wonder how he's going to respond to that ankle injury, and if he's going to be as mobile. You know, like when you when you hurt your ankle in game, it's right. You know, you can play through it. You can play but, through it, right? Yeah, but like when you rest it, that's when you know you start feeling a little tight. It swells up a little bit. Uh, so we'll see how that ankle injury affects him, because obviously if he's not as mobile, he's still dangerous in the pocket, but it just takes away a huge threat if he's not as mobile as he could be. Uh, but moving on to the Saints and Rams, um, the Saints and Rams had a, an awesome game in the Dome last year, um, and the Saints had that game. Man, that game was that game was crazy. I remember we were in yeah. the box just watching the the end of that game, and um, yeah, Drew Brees just just amazing. I, I, what was he? Is he forty? Yeah, he's forty. Yeah, he's forty. Yeah, he's forty, and Brady's forty-two. So both those guys are just playing at a high clip. But you know, the Rams have played. This is now the fourth time in two years that they've played against the New Orleans Saints. How crazy is that? Literally fourth time since August of two thousand and eighteen. They played them in the fourth game of the preseason. They played, you know, once in that regular season thriller that they had, and then they had them in the NFC Championship game. And now they're playing again. So they know each team knows each other really well. I don't think there's going to be about scheme. I think it's just going to be about his players and, and the will and want to. And the guy who really stepped up was Dante Fowler. Um, I think in the playoff game as well. So we, we're going to see. Um, you know, obviously, I, I want to see how do these two teams go because I think, really, like I said, game plan wise, these coaches know each other. But I really think that it's Sean Payton still wanting to prove that you know, hey, I got you. He's the boy wonder, Sean McVay, but I'm still pretty good as a play crawler myself. So that's going to be the interesting I'm looking at is how these two coordinator head coaches, you know, really call this game. Yeah. So what's your prediction on this game? Uh, my prediction, this is the game I'll be at too. I'll be at the Coliseum. It's going to be a, like a playoff type of atmosphere. Um, but I still, I think that the Rams pull this one out. I think the Rams are just really going to play off emotion playing at home. And I, it's going to be, I, I would say the Rams, I would say 38, 34 Rams Ooh. by four. Yeah. High scoring game. Hi, I mean, the Rams fell asleep last week and still scored 30 against the Panthers. <laughs> like that's true, be real. True. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go opposite. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Saints in a close shootout too. I think you know they're probably pretty pissed off about the playoff game last year, um, and yeah, I, just, I think the Saints just blow. You know, these blowout games are so hard to predict because it's like whoever has the last, whoever has the ball uh, last ends up winning the game. I just have a feeling the Saints might pull this one out. Um, yeah, I just I just like Aqib Talib back for this one. I know he's mm-hmm. in the, the NFC Championship game as well, but um, I just I like the Rams secondary. This is the first time I really looked at their secondary and what they're able to do and their dime package. I know you like dime packages too. Their dime <laughs> package now is 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 really I think they've got a bunch of guys who football, go out there right? and play. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> their dime packages are are, are nice, man. They. Uh, they they got the, the the rookie kid Taylor Rapp who's been really uh, been able to cover tight ends as well. So I think that that's something they're gonna have to you know look at with Jared Cook or the Saints. Well, who's your uh, upset of the week this week? Do you have one? Do I have an upset of the week? I always have an upset of the week. So I think last week a lot of people and I'm not gonna go with the conventional right because there's some people like oh that's not really an upset. You know, like I'm not going to say that Miami's going to beat the Patriots. If it's an upset, I would say they're going to be a lot closer than they were a week ago. But I th- honestly, I think that the big upset this week, I think Seattle goes into Pittsburgh and beats Pittsburgh. I think that's going to be my um, – I, I don't know if it's an upset truly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I really just think that Seattle goes into Pittsburgh, and now I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are sitting at 0-2, and everybody's going to start worrying about, I think, Antonio Brown. I like Seattle. They had to get that first game out of there. Um, you know, of the season, you know, off their backs a little bit. But I thought I saw a lot from DK Metcalf. I thought defensively, Jadavian Clowney is going to get his you know, legs back and under, underneath him. And so I think that's, to me, my upset of the week is Seattle going up to Pittsburgh on the road and taking care of business. Yeah, I can see that. And um, yeah, I mean, Russell Wilson, I think Russell Wilson's going to tear up that um, Pittsburgh defense. So I can definitely oh, yeah. see that happening. 
So a couple players, uh, and now to finish off, we'll go over a couple players to watch uh, for next week. And I think Antonio Brown, obviously, is going to be a huge storyline going into Miami. Uh, you, you said you think the game might be uh, closer than people anticipate. and I, Correct. I can see that, too. I don't think the Patriots are going to win by you know, a hundred, which looked like they could have because of how well the Ravens played against them. Um, but I, I think they're going to score some points. Um, and I, this is the type of game where you can just insert Antonio Brown and just tell him, we just need you to run these few routes. And I think he might, he might get a few big plays in this one. So, you know, obviously watch him, a lot of controversy around him and see how he, he melds in with that Patriots um, offense. Um, and Lamar Jackson, um, I, mm. the Cardinals have a strong defense and, um, they're gonna, they have film on what he did against, um, the, what he did against the Dolphins and, you know, we'll see how he's able to adjust to that and how he, the Ravens offense uh, plays overall against the Cardinals. Uh, we've got to do a better job of, of starting fast. That was uh, not what we were looking for today. Yeah, I think the guy who I want to watch is Matt Ryan this weekend. Um, mm. They'll be playing on the Sunday night game of the week, and uh, the Falcons will be at home against the Philadelphia Eagles. And Matt Ryan did have one of his best games in terms of statistics. The yards were there, but you know he didn't have the touchdowns. He was three uh, threw for three hundred four, but two touchdowns, two interceptions. But I do want to see him. Uh, go out there and, and rebound because I think a lot of people have the Atlanta Falcons as a possible team, a dark horse team to get to the conference championship. So what other, what better opportunity to see it Sunday night versus a Philadelphia Eagles team that defensively was really underwhelming last week. So I want to see what happens now. Uh, I think they may be out uh, Malik Jackson for a little bit defensively. So that's kind of uh, you know a couple of guys I want to watch going into the week cool this wraps up our first episode of run the film thank you for joining us and we'll be back next week to talk about some of the uh key matchups that we'll be looking at and uh kirk you have anything to say to end off no i just think that uh just i I can't wait for week two you know we get a chance to see you know some teams and see was week one a fluke or was it for real so i'm excited to uh just further get into it and see how some of these teams progress throughout the season all right awesome we'll talk to you guys next week